Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Idag ska vi avsluta året genom att bli affärsfilosofiska. Vi har återigen träffat Brian Wong, en av de första anställda på Alibaba- e-handelsföretaget som startade redan 1999. Idag är Alibaba en absolut gigant. Ett ekosystem för bland annat e-handel, fysisk handel, logistik och betalningar. Vi gick på djupet med Brian om varför han tror att just Alibaba blev ett av världens största företag, om vikten att acceptera kaos och att omfamna förändring. Och såklart ska vi även snacka med honom om hans upplevelse att jobba sida vid sida med den ökända grundaren Jack Ma. Och när vi satt oss ner med Brian så inledde han samtalet genom att dra en parallell till en nästan 50 år gammal Bruce Lee-film. Many of us grew up on Bruce Lee movies. Mm. I don't know if you remember that film called Enter the Dragon where he the very beginning, right, where he's he's sparring and that student walks up to him. Do you remember that scene? Yeah, yeah. And he says kick me, right? Yeah. Kick me. And he says what was that? An exhibition? An exhibition? We Emotional content. Emotional content, right? He was going through that whole speech. And at the end, he says, you know, how did that feel? And then the guy's like, let me think. And he hits him in the head, right? He says, go think, feel. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. It's like a finger pointing to the moon, right? And then the kid looks at his finger and he hits him on the head again. And he says, don't concentrate on the finger or you'll miss all the heavenly glory. All that heavenly glory. Now, what I realized he was saying in that is the same concept of Taoism. Well, the point of looking at the finger or not looking at the finger is if you're focusing on the KPIs, you're missing the heavenly glory, which is the greater purpose of the organization. And in the case of Alibaba, the greater purpose was to make it easy to do business anywhere. It was to help the small businesses, you know, be successful. But many people get so fixated on the KPIs or the finger that they miss the heavenly glory, which is helping society solve its problems. Idag pratar vi med Brian om hans nya bok, The Tao of Alibaba. En unik skildring inifrån ett av världens största företag som spänner sig över nästan 20 år. Jag heter Jakob Lovén. Jag heter Tom Chong. Och det här är Den digitala draken, en del av Svenska Dagbladet. För dig som inte har hört vårt förra avsnitt med Brian så är han killen som i 20-årsåldern träffade en ung Jack Ma på ett hotell i Kalifornien och bestämde sig kort därefter för att lämna sin hemort Pacific Heights i Silicon Valley för att göra en total chansning på Alibaba. Ett företag som knappt någon i USA hade hört talas om. Nu, efter nästan 20 år, har han lämnat företaget och skrivit en bok om sina upplevelser. I left Alibaba in august of 2020. You know, I felt that One thing that wasn't complete following, you know, almost 20 years working at the company was an account of really how the company thinks from the inside. What are the lessons that can be learned from the the, the rise of this company? But more specifically, how does it think and what is the management ethos and, and, and why is that relevant 
uh, to the rest of the world. So that's really what I tried to break down in this book, as well as, you know, what Alibaba created as a as a model for a potential sort of, you know, development paradigm that could be applied in other parts of the world, particularly emerging markets that have similar situations like China did 20 years ago and how they can utilize this technology to actually create um, good and for society and a more inclusive society as a result. That leads us to the title of your book, The Underlying Culture and DNA that forms a successful organization. I want to be careful, like I'm not a philosophy major or an expert, but I definitely felt that the Tao, the word the Tao was an appropriate title because it is so both profound, but also appropriate for what I'm trying to cover in the book. So the Tao obviously refers to the philosophical sort of tradition, Taoism, which is a religion and a philosophy from many thousands of years ago in China. It has many books and sort of thought leaders that have contributed to the the canon, but obviously the seminal one is Laozi and uh, the Tao Te Ching, which many people have studied, and there are many interpretations of this. Vi bad Brian utveckla vad Tao i titeln betyder, och han bröt ner det i tre delar: vägen, harmonin och att omfamna motsägelser. The first is the path or way, and this is what everybody really knows the Tao to mean. And and that is the path both of, or the way of, of, you can say, an organization and its direction, its purpose for being. But also I would say it relates to the Tao of my own personal journey and what I learned in the journey working at Alibaba and what it meant for me personally. So that's the first concept is the path or the way. The second concept is really harmony in relation to the universe. This idea that nothing exists or stands alone in in this world, that everything is interconnected. And so what I try and emphasize is this idea that Alibaba was very much a product of its time. A lot of what exists in the world around it dictates what this organization becomes. Really emphasizing this concept of a holistic perspective on a, the creation of a company and its influence in, in the environment in which it was created. And then the third aspect, which I think is most complicated, is this concept of embracing contradictions. And this is very hard to really grasp from a Western perspective because most Western thinking is focusing on consistency of logic. But the dialectic is really about taking opposites, things that are seemingly contradictory, and then finding truth within the middle of that. Och när det kommer till Brian's tredje poäng, det vill säga att omfamna motsägelser, så pekar han på att det här var en av grundaren Jack Ma's absoluta styrkor. Jack, if you look at what he says in many of his speeches, is full of contradictions. The first speech he gave at Harvard Business School, he said that you know Alibaba was successful because we had no money no technology and no business plan. Okay, Alibaba is the world's largest uh, e-commerce ecosystem and it was built off the pursuit of helping the smallest businesses in society, right? If you think about all these different aspects of the company, they seem almost contradictory. The company is working between these sort of opposites and it, it, it's constantly shifting between one and the other. But in the end, it, it, that's what gives it the flexibility and the nimbleness and the dynamism, 
which makes Alibaba what it is today. And it's a philosophical sort of mindset which permeated the organization. I get a sense very much about, you know, Alibaba in many ways were representing some of these three values, right? For one thing, you know, Jack Ma always talking about extremely long-term goals and extremely long-term stuff, never talking about like quarterly results or the profits we're going to hit in Q3 and whatever that could be, right? It's exactly right. That contrast, you know, always apparent in the things he says, you know, and this gets this whole idea that people often in the early days criticized Jack for saying customer first, employee second, shareholder third. What we learned in business school was always the importance of shareholder supremacy in Milton Friedman's theory on, on cor- the role of a corporation. Mm. But Jack, from, from the start, believed that Alibaba was created to al- actually help society solve problems. And that to many people seem like a lot of just fluff and a bit absurd. But mm. I think what I want to point out here in, in writing this book is that it is possible to do both good for business and good for society. And Alibaba represents an organization that, that was able to do that. One way to summarize the book is that you have three key parts of it. One part, which is talking about the early days of Alibaba and how that, you know, grew into this juggernaut that we're seeing today, right? Uh, you have another part talking about the actual org structure, the DNA, the culture, what drives the organization, makes it successful, right? And then you have a the third part, and that's where I would actually love to get started, the one called the new digital frontier. If I can quote you, what you're writing is that I hope that instead of listening to the voices that give them 1,001 reasons why something is not possible or why it will fail, they instead look to the fascinating story of an individual and a company that started with nothing from the most unlikely of places to become a powerhouse that has shaped the internet era. Yes, I was talking about Jack Ma and China in 1999 because both of them, the individual and the market environment, were the most unlikely places that one would expect a phenomenon like Alibaba to start. During my time at at Alibaba, I came to realize that many of the attributes of a society or a market or economy that we would traditionally think of as a disadvantage actually turned out to be a great advantage for uh, digital transformation. And specifically what I mean by that is the state of the retail market or the financial system or even the the physical infrastructure. You know, those if you if you lacked those things and let's just take an example of the United States versus uh, China, you know, there there was there's probably they say about three over three times the amount of retail space in America than there is in China. And it was probably much the difference was probably even much greater back 20 years ago, Mm. you know, or that the financial system in China back 20 years ago was was highly underdeveloped. There was very little credit card penetration and um, you know the number of banked in the population was much much less than that United States all those things would be a barrier to economic development in most cases but with e- the rise of e-commerce the fact that those legacy systems didn't exist meant that it was much less friction to the adoption of new habits and new ways and, and new sort of you know systems for for retail 
and, uh, you know, consumer finance. And so China, as an example of how that digital transformation occurred, can be a, a sort of a model for how other countries, particularly in places like Asia and Africa, could take the path uh, for their transformation. But then also, what is the role that entrepreneurs played in catalyzing that transformation vis-a-vis kind of the enabling environment that the governments create? The, the point that I'm trying to make is that, you know, there are other ways to think about how to go about economic development, utilizing technology in, in, a, in a positive way. Because I think particularly during my book tour, there was a growing, there, there is growing sentiment even now of the threat and the risks of technology, particularly mm-hmm. platform companies, which, you know, I acknowledge that, that there, there are considerations that need to be taken into account. Um, but at the same time, I, uh, what I try to do is encourage people not to forget also the positive benefits that these, these platforms bring. And then if, if we can sort of moderate that risk and manage it effectively, there's still very important role for these types of technologies to play in, in the inclusive development um, models that we're trying to pursue. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. När det kommer till framgångsrika företag är det lätt att få en bild av att de spikade sin framgångsformel tidigt och sen bara gasat på. Men så är såklart sällan fallet. Och inte heller för Alibaba. I sin bok beskriver Brian hur han en dag under sommaren 2013 när Alibaba såg ut att gå jättebra fick ett meddelande av Jack Ma adresserat till hela företaget där grundaren presenterade företagets mest omfattande omstrukturering någonsin. I mejlet skrev Jack Ma Det här är den svåraste transformationen under Alibabas 13-åriga historia men förändringarna gör vi inte för att råda bot på nuvarande problem eller att de för den delen skulle ha gjorts tidigare. Vi gör det här för att möta den framtiden vi tror på. För vi som företag är på väg in i okänt territorium där ingen annan varit förut. So in 2013, Alibaba had already become a, a very sizable company. It had gone public once and it had delisted, I think around 2012. So it was going through a process of transformation. And I think it was really about deciding, you know, what would be the next iteration of the entity that they would want to bring public. And... Um, What happened, I think, over a period of of 19 months is the company went from three business units to seven business units and then to 25 business units. So they essentially broke the company into small pieces. Mm. And the reason why they did that was in order to unlock a lot of the value that was sort of within the company, but to also empower the leaders of the company to be able to make decisions in an efficient way and in, in a nimble way an agile way because the bigger you get the slower you move but also the more vulnerable you become to competitors i think at that time there were competitors from every angle of kind of the market you know whether it's the c2c the b2c the b2b payments everybody was trying to take a piece of what alibaba had created in terms of this market 
So, so that's what had happened. And that's the thinking behind that was to maintain the agility of the company and give the managers and the leaders in the organization the flexibility to be able to, you know, really continue to innovate in a way that a startup would versus a large corporation. This this happened so many times when I was working at the company where just when you are starting to feel very comfortable and secure with things, the management decides to make some major changes. And it's funny, you know, I actually went back, I just stumbled upon a interview he did in 2004 when he talks about his management philosophy. And, and I realized very little has changed from that time up till now. He talks about how, you know, you can never feel too comfortable and he always wants the company to have a startup mentality. Even when it's a big company, he wants to figure out ways to maintain that startup sort of spirit, which means you have to constantly keep things kind of dynamic, but also never be too complacent. That's what's quite interesting with this story, right? Because if you were to remove the word Alibaba now from everything you just said, Every company on earth have tried to do the same type of reorg. And every single CEO says, I want a startup mentality. But Alibaba was one of the few companies that were sizable, did that change, was successful in doing that change, and actually iterate and continue to innovate, which is so rare for very large organizations. I mean, this is also something I talk about in the book, which is this cyclical nature of the company where it goes through these trial phases, uh, refinement phases, and, you know, kind of development phase. And that's happened multiple times uh, within the company's 20-something year life. And it's constantly sort of developing new businesses. It's not a one-trick pony. It is a company that's constantly building on itself and building within this ecosystem. Part of that has to do with its, I think, its eastern philosophy that guides kind of its thinking that allows it to be dynamic within this framework of what I call Western systems, processes and management structures. Mm -hmm. So it's this blend of East and West. And I think that Alibaba as a company, that's what makes it unique, is that it's able to incorporate both these elements into its sort of management ethos. But at the same time, it's a little bit unsettling for someone who comes from more of a Western business background, to see two teams competing for the same business within the same company. Mm. Or you talk about this restructuring, it happens at a lot of companies, but this was within a 19-month period. And sometimes you would say, a company this size should not be this disorderly. But in some ways, the chaos is what's prompted or or encouraged in order to facilitate a bottom-up ideation of uh, new ideas within the organization. You know, we could spend hours on this because there obviously are very contradictory views in that as well, i.e. what is the definition of a company? And, you know, at the end of the day, like, why do you publicly list? But I think that also tells an example about what you just mentioned before, which is like, on one hand, this is this super long-term company, send this message about, you know, we're here for a long run, we're going to change a lot. But at the same time, the way you run the company is that when you just feel comfortable, like you mentioned, a big reorg happens. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about how it was to operate within an environment like that, because it's got to feel very competitive at certain times, right? Yes. So, I mean, look, I think that it's not easy 
for many people when they first join the company to fit into that environment, which is why values become so important. But the reason why values are so important is because it defines the code of conduct or it lays out kind of how people and teams should interact. One of the values early on was embrace change. And then that was, how should I say, modified to a value called uh, change is the only constant. And when we started at Alibaba, you know, China was the fastest growing economy in the world and the internet economy was the fastest growing industry in the world. So you're at the center of the center in terms of speed of change. So once you enter the company, you know, the first thing they tell you is, okay, Alibaba values embrace change. And anytime there's a change, people will reference, well, this is part of our values. This is something that you should expect. And I don't think most people in, in, in human beings like change because uh, we're not built or geared in that way. Mm. But if part of the culture is about embracing change or accepting change, then it gets a little bit easier to accept. But what happens is that over time, that just becomes a way of, of working. And there were many times like early on when I was doing product, we would launch new products. Some of them would get launched, but sometimes within two weeks they'd get scrapped. And the first time that happened, it was, it was crushing because you put so much time and effort into it. But as you moved forward and you saw how we were going through an iterative process of trial and error, those success cases were enough to make up for the pain of what had been sort of you know, shut down or canceled or, you know, dismantled. Of course, there were times when things seemed like a, a big waste of resources, you know, when w mistakes were made. There was a moment for me, Tom, honestly, because I left the company after two years. I got fed up with it. So I went to business school thinking that I was going to actually learn how to use the proper systems to, to do this kind of work. And then I went and worked for a large multinational company. And that multinational had a 100 years of history. Uh, this was in New York, and I was on the strategy team. I was witnessing how decisions were made and how plans were laid out. But honestly, when I worked in that environment, it felt far too slow. And then when Jack came back to see me two years later, we were having dinner. He's like, we need you to join us again so we can help globalize the business. And when I looked at the, the trajectory of how things were going to play out, I said, there is so much more dynamism in the opportunity with Alibaba than what I'm seeing in New York because the mindset is different. Why not go for that opportunity and swing for the fences because they're going to enable you as a leader to try and make that change and give you that you know space to do so. And of course, we, we know in terms of traditional publishing, traditional media versus digital media versus e-marketplaces, the world has changed dramatically. And that company that I worked at is no longer around. A hundred year mm. behemoth, one of the largest in its industry, is gone. It's been split up. Whereas Alibaba now is one of the is one of the top market capitalization companies on the New York Stock Exchange. So that's the reality of of, of how this plays out. Något som är återkommande i Brian's bok är hur det var att jobba nära Jack Ma. Hur han såg på organisationen och det som Brian kallar för soul-crushing reviews. Eller på svenska förkrossande utvärderingssamtal. We are always talking about 
companies needing to be fast moving, innovative. It is about human beings such as yourself or your colleagues, usually pretty young people that need to be used to be in an environment where it's okay to get your feelings hurt. Yes, and I think what Jack did as a leader and a former teacher is created an environment that was safe and nurturing, yet at the same time direct and honest. You know, one thing I talk about in the book is the review process and how it can be crushing for a lot of people emotionally because there's so much invested in that. But if it's done properly, it's painful yet constructive and Uh, I would say regenerative. I don't know if that's the right word, but you actually grow from it in a way that, if you don't have those conversations, no one's ever going to tell you what you're not good at or where you're you're not doing well. But at the same time, they don't kill you because of that. They simply, you know, give you a slap on the hand and say, "You can do better. We believe in you." And here's, you know, here's what we should agree on in terms of improvement. Or if you're doing so badly, even after they try and you know you guys try and work on that issue together, they'll find another place that maybe you can do better with a more appropriate environment. So in a way, it's constantly providing a learning experience to the individual, but at the same time contributing to the company. The performance review had two key parts, and Alibaba still uses this methodology. One is your performance, you know, in terms of business performance and achievement. That's KPIs, and second is really around what we call the values.、Mm-hmm. In the early days, this was fifty-fifty in terms of contribution to your final sort of rating, which then obviously translated into your bonus or review. That was done every quarter at the beginning, and then、uh, became sort of a, a semi-annually. And it was always the business leader and an HR person. And the HR role at Alibaba is much more powerful than standard sort of Western corporations. At Alibaba, the HR person was to provide a perspective, kind of a an outside perspective, that would both integrate the business leaders' inputs, but also to give kind of an outside observer perspective. A lot of this was, in some ways, almost like a therapy session, <laughs> you know, where the individual. Would be talking about not just their performance, but how they feel about their work, about their realizations.、Uh, particularly, there was a focus on areas that were not done well, mistakes made, challenges, and realizations that were come to through that work. Every performance review was like that because most of the focus was on what you did wrong as opposed to what you did well, because they already knew what you did well. But as I said in other comments. It was that moment where you learn about yourself more than any other time because people are giving you direct feedback, unfiltered, but with the intent to help you be a better person. And Jack talks about what a leader should do: is a leader should help their team be the best people that they can be as individuals, not just be for the company, but as for themselves. He would also say things like, "Working at Alibaba is a chance for you to learn about yourself and how to realize." Your your skills and, and your aspirations. It was almost like a, a training ground for life as a whole. He would say things like, "Life is work, and work is life." And that wasn't about work life balance. It was actually about utilizing the time at Alibaba to exercise your aspirations and your practice your skills so that you could become closer to what you want to be as a human being. It all came to a head 
in those performance reviews, people would throw things at you for about an hour. And in the end, they'd say, because of all of this, we think that you've learned that much more and that you're ready for a promotion or we're going to give you this big bonus. Mm. And those would be times when you'd be like, oh my gosh, like you'd be flying, right? But if you walked out of there and they said, well, all this criticism, therefore we don't think you've met your goals, you'd be really, really disappointed. But then the next part of the conversation is, okay, well, how can we help improve you moving forward? And what have you taken from this? And then you would, if you were conditioned and mature enough, you would say, wow, these, this was a gift. I'm going to take this in the next review. I'm going to be this much better. That is not only good for the, the team member, but also you as a manager feel great satisfaction in helping that person grow. And I think that this all stems from Jack's own personality as a teacher, because ultimately that's what he wants in his team members is for, to see them grow just like he would his students. Mm. It sounds very idealistic. And obviously not every case was like that. Some managers who did not coach their team members effectively crashed and burned. Like, you know, then you had these fights and these yelling matches and, and, you know, that's where HR needs to kind of step in. But it's also a learning experience for the leader, for the supervisor. Are you actually able to coach your team members in a way that makes you a good leader. That's a learning experience for that leader. And that's where the HR would have to actually step in and kind of give that coaching. So I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say every review was perfect. But I think if if you put it in that perspective, you realize that there was a thought process behind that. And ultimately, I mean, look where the company is today. So many of these things I would say I would call bullshit, right? That's just a bunch of corporate fluff. But look where the company is. Like, Time and time again, I left the company twice, okay? So it's not like I was drinking the Kool-Aid from the start. But I I looked at it from a distance. I looked at it from the inside and I say, something is working here. You don't have, you know, a hundreds of billion dollar market capitalization company built off vaporware or built off a bunch of corporate jargon. Something that Jack did actually worked. Brian berättar också att i den här hårda feedbackkulturen så var det ett tillfälle då han var helt säker på att han skulle få sparken. Men situationen visade sig vara den motsatta. I was leading a team, we called it a strategic business development because we were trying to develop new revenue models internationally to really develop our business outside of China. We had really traditionally relied on Chinese companies that paid a subscription service. This was back, I think, 2007, 2008. And then the buyers were international. But we wanted to flip it around since there were so many buyers now on the platform for our B2B business. We need, we believe that, you know, Vietnam, Turkey, Korea, Brazil, Poland, wherever, there was tons of manufacturers that also wanted to sell to the same buyers. So I was flying around trying you know trying to uh, understand the markets but also trying to sign up partners to work with us locally to help develop this business model and frankly it was very challenging you know like I set up our business in India and that's a whole different working environment than China it was difficult to get sales teams to do the same things that the sales teams do in China to operate with the same level of discipline I mean these guys are like military in China like they they were up at 5 a.m. and home at like 9 p.m. And they had a whole list of, you know, sales targets and the metrics every day we would review. And India is like, 
it's chaos. And you'd be lucky if you got half those number of sales calls because of traffic, because of inefficiency, whatever. And then half of them wouldn't show up at the end of the day. <laughs> so like, I seriously thought like, you know, despite the efforts, we were not doing as well as we should. But I remember, I think I was in the US and I was on a business trip and I was in New York and I got a phone call from a Hangzhou number. And I was like, okay, well, obviously this is important because they're calling me. Usually it's just a text or whatever. So I get a call and it's, um, I think someone from headquarters, I think maybe it was the secretary of the CEO at the time. And she says, Brian, where are you now? And I said, I'm in New York. And she says, well, can you come to Hangzhou tomorrow? And I said, no, my passport is in California with my parents' house and I'm ha on the other side of the country. Well, and then she says, well, uh, you need to figure out how to get back tomorrow or as soon as you can and you need to meet with the CEO. And I was like, <laughs> oh crap, I think I'm definitely <laughs> fired. So I, I got it, my, my passport FedExed. I have half my luggage is back in California and I flew from New York straight back to Hangzhou. And I get to the campus and I go straight to the office the next day and um, you know, I go into this meeting room and uh, with the CEO and he says, um, Brian, there's been some changes. And I'm thinking, okay, it's time for me to leave the company. And he says, um, we've decided to promote you <laughs> to vice president because, you know, your boss will be leaving the company for X and Y reasons. I guess they weren't happy with the performance. And um, you've been working so hard at trying to, to accomplish, you know, these goals. You are the only one with the insights in the international market. We believe that you are the right person to kind of take this company, uh, this this division moving forward. You know, there's almost like a uh, thousand people in the, the, the team. Wow. And I was like, holy cow. So, you know, that was, uh, I mean, I got actually kind of scared because like, I don't even know where to start with this because it's such a big leap. Yeah. But that's the kind of responsibility that management would give you if they believe in you. Jack often says, like, we make it really hard to get in. We make it very easy for you to leave. And that way it will self-select in terms of the kind of people that remain. What, one of the other things he used to say is like, we can't assure you riches and fame, but we can surely guarantee you suffering and pain. Vi frågade såklart Brian hur han ser på framtiden för Alibaba och vad han tror är skillnaden mellan företag i öst versus de i väst. When we talk about, you know, being able to be dynamic but still very long term, being able to be nice to people but still hurt your feelings. A lot of these contradictions. If you're reflecting a little bit over like Alibaba, where Alibaba came from, the people and the culture and the Asian culture versus, let's say, yep. American or European companies that are trying to do the same, instill the same culture, what do you feel is the differences here? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. First of all, no one company is exactly the same, so it's hard to generalize. And the second thing I'll say is that understand that America, and I'm going to use America as an example because I know it better than, say, European company environments. But America has over 150 or 60 years of business history. The Wharton School, where I went, was the first business school in America, started in the 1800s, to teach business as a management science, right? So there was mm. a discipline around that. Well, China today, in terms of market economy, only has about a 40-year history. And when we started Alibaba, it was only 20 years. So there's a lot of things that business people in China are learning. 
Okay. And, you know, layered on top of that is kind of this Eastern philosophy, which complicates it even further, which makes it very different in some ways from Western practices. So I went into Alibaba thinking, it's just going to be like every other Silicon Valley company just, you know, in China. Mm -hmm. But there, as I've described already, there are definitely elements that are different. One thing we're lucky that about is that Jack has an open mind and was trying to integrate both East and West into his organization. So if you ask me in terms of some of the characteristics, I, I would say the idea of, of this Tao philosophy runs through the veins of the organization. And so that, in some ways, when you want direct answers or feedback, you don't necessarily get it because you get this mouthful of contradictions and you sort of have to figure out where it goes. Is it, is it you know, within a spectrum, right? Things are gray as opposed to black and white. Second, I would say, is that they look at things holistically. So everything is part of a larger system. Mm -hmm. And that's why also Alibaba evolved as an ecosystem. And it's grown in that way. Everything is layered on top of each other. One of the really interesting things you're seeing now in America is this talk about super apps. So um, Elon Musk has talked about this when he was acquired Twitter. Mm -hmm. But now, just most recently, Microsoft is talking about building a super app. But it's because the Western approach is about specialization, not about, you know, horizontal integration. So this gets again to this whole concept of interconnectedness and holistic thinking. And then I would say <laughs> the contradictory part of this is that then there's another element. While everything is kind of gray and kind of fluid, there sometimes is this hard element, which it goes to this command and control when things get really tough. I've seen another side of it too, which is like they come down really hard, really strong, and you're like, dude, did, don't I have any say in this? And I think that is a, again, go back to this contradiction. There are elements of that which I think make it sometimes surprising that, you know, there's such a contrast in certain elements of management style. Yeah, like looking from outside, right? Looking at how Alibaba transformed from being like starting to fiddle around in e-commerce to building some of the largest marketplaces and then expanding that into the full value chain of e-commerce, everything from, you know, logistics to, to cloud to everything. Yeah. One would imagine that it requires pretty strict leadership and people from the top saying, like, we just got to invest in cloud now. It's a X billion dollar investment. And we're just going to take that. It just feels like this is not something you can derive from consensus, right? Well, so that's the interesting thing. Many of our meetings, if you sat in them, you'd think it's total chaos. People yelling, arguing, you know, pounding their fists. It's a free for all. But once a decision is made, sometimes it's consensus. Sometimes they can't come to a decision and then somebody needs to make the decision. And, you know, sometimes that'll be Jack or sometimes it'll be the president of that organization. Then everybody falls in line. Then at that point, it's as good as unanimous because the decision has been made. So that at least was the process that I observed. And there is an opportunity to voice your views and input, and it's bottom up, top down. But once it's done, then it's it's everybody moves in, in sync. Would you say that is a feature, especially of Asian companies? So you know, one of the big concerns of Alibaba, as is the case with many other Chinese 
private companies is, you know, a founder led organization is like a family business. And once the founder is gone, then everything falls apart. Mm. And one of the unique attributes of Alibaba was that they, Jack was planning his retirement for almost 10 years and he created this Alibaba partnership model, which I think is actually unique. So that was actually intended to ensure a fluid and, and smooth transition or succession where the DNA of the company was spread between what is now 38 partners. And they become the, 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 the protectors of the company uh, values and culture and its, its mission and vision. I think in that regard, Alibaba is quite unique. If you ask me, you know, is, is that how Western companies operate? I, I, it's hard for me to say. I think Western companies, what's really interesting about what I see in Silicon Valley is there is a variety of models that are emerging. And what I, what I'm encouraged by is that there is this openness to look more and more to other, you know, companies outside of the States. Like people are interested in studying how these Chinese companies operate, particularly these large platforms like Tencent and Alibaba. But, um, I think that. Silicon Valley versus New York, you know, there's also very big differences. I think Silicon Valley has really embraced a more decentralized approach to how they go about management and making decisions. But I, I would think that there's still an element sometimes of like, I mean, look at Facebook, right? Mark Zuckerberg is making the call on meta, you know, in the metaverse, how they came to that decision. I mean, I, I don't know exactly, but there's definitely personality driven, founder driven decisions still being uh, behind much of this. Vi avslutade vårt samtal med Brian genom att fråga vad han tror Jack tycker om att han har skrivit den här boken. What, what's interesting about Jack is he was all about sharing all this knowledge as broadly and widely as he could from the start. I actually thought it was very strange a few years into the company where he would ask us all to go out and share Alibaba's own like management principles with our customers. Because a lot of times you want to keep that internally. You don't even know, like, competitors might hear it and then they use it. And it basically what happened is what I expected. Everyone started to copy, like, Alibaba's values and, you know, mission, vision and whatnot. But that's exactly what Jack wanted because he thought that would create a better sort of business environment. And not only that, the more that they believe here and believe in what you're doing, the more they, they relate to your company, the more they want to do business with you. So in a way, you were like winning them over by bringing them into your circle and everybody felt like they were part of that community. Let's just say working with Jack, you always think that you've got the best setup, the best ideas that you want to you know, propose to him and you think you're doing really well. And he'll always find something that you haven't done right or something that can be better. And he, you know, he, he says it in a nice way, So, so many, many times when I was this special assistant, I think I let him down, you know, numerous, numerous times, not for a lack of effort, but it's just because he's so much that further ahead in terms of his ideas, his creativity and his standards, which is why I think the company has done so well. He's always raising the bar. I'm just glad I survived it and uh, can talk about it uh, with others. And I think the the purpose of this book is really to share lessons from the inside and hope that, you know, no matter what people believe are the challenges, I think that Alibaba, as an example, shows that it's truly almost anything is possible if you have the right mindset 
and uh, approach it in a way that really inspires and enables others to go along with you on, on that journey. So to me, that was the, the real meaningful takeaway from the experience, and I wanted to share that in this book. Stort tack till alla våra lyssnare för den här säsongen. Vi tar en liten paus över jul och nyår och sen är vi tillbaka tidigt 2023 med en fullspäckad säsong. Producent är Katarina Andersson och postproduction görs av Kristoffer Folin. Vill du som vanligt fördjupa dig i mer global tech så gå in på svd.se den digitala draken. Jag heter Jakob Löfven och vi hörs snart igen. Du har lyssnat på Den digitala draken, en podd från Svenska Dagbladet. Ansvarig utgivare är jag, Anna Kareborg.